Please turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We are getting close to finishing our study in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. I'd like to echo Ben's words earlier. Uh, if you've not taken your picture yet for the, the church directory, I, I beg you to do so. That is a, a very useful tool in helping uh, learn people's names and, and being more effective shepherds. Ephesians chapter 6, uh, this morning we're going to be reading verses 10 through 13. If you'd stand with me in honor of God's word. Paul says in verse 10, Finally, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. May God encourage us through his word this morning. You may be seated. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for our time of worship thus far. Convict our hearts of sin, open our eyes to the spiritual world around us, and give us your strength. We pray this in your Son, Jesus Christ's name, for your glory. Amen. In 1985, Madonna proudly proclaimed that she was a material girl, that we were living in a material world. I believe that she is partly correct. We do indeed live as materialists in North America, in this culture. Uh, and by materialists, I don't mean simply that we like things, although we certainly do. Uh, what I mean is, is this, uh, we are materialists in the sense that, that both feet are firmly planted in the physical world. Our hearts are so enamored with physical things and the material world that we are often blind to the reality that there is a spiritual world around us as well. And because of that attitude, we are in grave danger. Imagine with me, if you will, that you had an enemy, and this enemy hated you. This enemy wanted you to be destroyed, uh, he wanted your family to be destroyed, he wanted your friends to be destroyed, and, and this enemy began doing things to wreak destruction in your life. He began to harm you, he began to wreak havoc in the lives of your co-workers. A family member's lives were, were ruined as, as he deceived and, and harmed them, and he was able to wreak all of this havoc and destruction without you even being aware that it was him who was behind it. That is the situation, I believe, that many of us find ourselves in as we think about the spiritual realm. Our eyes are so in tune to the, the physical world that we fail to see the spiritual world all around us as well. And yet, as believers... As we read newspapers and magazines, as we go to web news, we read stories about what's taking place in the world around us, we should be constantly aware of the spiritual struggle 
that our world is engaged in. A few weeks ago, just as an example, I read a story about the country of Greenland. If you know anything about the country of Greenland, you know that it's the world's largest island. It's also the world's least densely populated country. And right now, in the, if you go to the city of Greenland and you look, go to their capital city and, and look around, you'll see these posters plastered around the city. And these posters say this, don't be alone with your dark thoughts. Call for help. You see, what's happening in Greenland right now is a, an epidemic of suicides. Throughout the first part of the 1900s, Greenland has one of the most one of the lowest suicide rates in the world. 0.3 people per 100,000 people committed suicide. That was their suicide rate. In the 1950s, 60s, 70s, that suicide rate began to climb. And currently, 100 people out of 100,000 people commit suicide in Greenland. One out of 1,000 people in their lives with suicide. And it's especially targeting the young in Greenland. One survey indicated that one out of four young women have attempted to end their lives. Don't be alone with your dark thoughts. I would say these are, are dark, spiritually motivated, spiritual, spirit, part of a, a spiritual battle that the people in Greenland are undergoing. Uh, researchers have gone to Greenland and, and tried to assess exactly what's going on, and, and they focus upon the physical world. Uh, they've talked about the, the brief and bright summer sun and how it disrupts the, the winter sleep cycle and, and how it affects uh, the, the serotonin levels in, in people. One researcher said this, well, it's, it's impulsive self-violence that's different from melancholic winter suicides, which are more associated with seasonal affective disorder and depression. And there may be something to this physical aspect of the suicides in Greenland, but I would suggest to you that as well there is a, a deep, dark, sinister spiritual force that is attacking the people in Greenland as well. One person put it this way, said the sun has been here every summer for thousands of years, but people didn't start killing themselves until recently. And if you look at the underlying things that are going on in Greenland, you see it's not just suicide. Violence, alcoholism, incest, immorality, it is all just gripping that country. A death grip upon the people there. I could give you example after example of, of the terrible things that are done in our world that I believe indicate we are not just wrestling with flesh and blood, but that our ultimate struggle is a spiritual struggle. And yet our minds have become and our eyes have become so blinded to the spiritual world that we merely focus upon the physical. And I would say this, yes, we live in a, in a fallen world, and yes, we are fallen people, but simultaneously we must not forget that we have a spiritual enemy. And that enemy desires our ruin and destruction, and we forget that at our peril. The central idea that I want us to consider this morning is, is this. I want us to think about this question. Why do we need God's strength? 
This morning, we're going to be answering that question, why do we need God's strength? And, and I hope that this morning I, I create within you a, a sense of, of need for the resources that God provides us. In coming weeks, we're going to be talking about the tools that God gives us. Next week, we'll begin talking about the tools God gives us and equips us with to fight this spiritual thought, this fight. But the thought that I want to kind of plant in your minds this morning is, hey, there's a spiritual world around me. And my struggles are not against flesh and blood, but there is a spiritual battle that I am engaged in in a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis, and I better be prepared for it. Why do we need God's strength? We need God's strength, we'll see this morning, because we have a real weakness. We face a real enemy who is engaging us in a real war. If you're taking notes, we're going to be talking about this real weakness, this real enemy, and this real war. Let's first look at the real weakness that we have. Look with me at verse Look with me at, at verses 10 and the first part of verse 11. Paul says this, uh, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the, the whole armor of God. Uh, he begins verse 10 by saying, finally. Remember, maybe some of you, are as, we, as you think about coming to the end of Ephesians, you're saying, well, finally as well. Uh, what we've seen in the book of Ephesians is, is two main sections, remember? The first section encompasses chapters 1 through 3, and it's about the, the call of the church how the church has been called into relationship with Christ, and they become part of this new community. We talked about this, this calling. And then in chapters 4 through 6, we've looked at the conduct of the church, how the church now is to walk, that they become a part of this community. We've seen that the church is to walk in unity. The church is to walk in holiness. The, the church is to walk in the, in the light. The church is to walk in love. We just finished up talking about how the church is to walk in wisdom, especially uh, walking in wisdom in relationship with, with one another, uh, parents walking in wisdom with their children, husbands and wives walking in wisdom together, employees and employers, slaves and masters walking in wisdom with one another. Now we're coming to the last section. He says, finally, this is the last part of the book of Ephesians, finally, walk in strength, he's going to say. It says, finally, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We're going to see here, I believe in verse 10, the first part of verse 11, that we have this real weakness. And we see that we have this real weakness in several ways. Uh, first of all, notice this. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the, the strength of his might. And that, that word, be strong there, it can really be translated, be made strong. You and I don't have a, an, an internal strength that comes from ourselves. We must have God place this, this strength within us. Remember, in fact, you can turn back to Ephesians chapter 1. This is a theme that Paul's been pretty consumed with as he's been praying for the people in Ephesians throughout this epistle. Remember in Ephesians chapter 1, he begins this prayer in, in, in verse 15, and as he's praying... He says that he prays in verse 18 that the eyes of your hearts will be enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us believe, who believe according to the working of his great might. And so his prayer was that they would have an understanding of God and they begin to understand his, 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 this, the strength and this might that God has. And he says this might was in accordance 
with what he did in Christ Jesus, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. God has available to him this, this power. He is the almighty God, and it was a power that was exhibited, it was on display when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He talks about this power also in chapter 3 as he's talking about a prayer for spiritual strength beginning in verse 14. He prays, he says, I bow my knees before the Father. He says, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And so as Paul comes to this last section of the book of Ephesians, he says, look, this prayer that I've been praying for you, I'm serious about it. Finally, he says, be strong, be made strong as a result of these prayers that I've prayed for you. Be made strong by God. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So we have this real weakness, and we know that we have this weakness because it's God who must make us strong. Uh, secondly, secondly, we know that we are weak because uh, he's the one. He's the one that gives us the armor, he says in verse 11 put on the, the whole armor of God. And the armor that he's, this word that he's using to describe armor means like the, the armor of a foot soldier in the, the Roman army. He says you, you need to avail yourself of God's strength and you need to put on his armor. In and of yourselves, you don't have the, the capacity to fight the spiritual battle that you're being called to, to face. And so because you do not have that ability, be strengthened by God and put on God's armor. When I was young, and uh, on Sundays, we'd, we'd come home from church and, and uh, we'd, we'd watch the television show Star Trek, the original Star Trek. Now, um, I'm betraying my nerdiness, but I think that was betrayed long ago, so I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm confident in that, and many of you are with me here. Uh, in the original Star Trek series, the mission of the Starship Enterprise, this spaceship that they were all on, uh, the mission of this, this starship was to, to what? Uh, to, to seek out strange new worlds and new lives and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Now, as they sought out new lives and new civilizations, there was something that directed their journey. They had this rule called the Prime Directive. And the prime directive essentially stated this. It said as they explored these new lives and civilizations, they, they couldn't interfere with them. And Gene Roddenberry, as some of it suggested, uh, Gene Roddenberry, who created Star Trek, was, was a humanist. He had no place for religion and believed in the, the exaltation of man and that man left to his own devices would, would continue to improve. And Gene Roddenberry uh, had this prime directive, and it, you, you can imagine how poorly a missionary would face in Gene, uh, would, would, would fare in Gene Roddenberry's world, right? And some have even suggested that he created the prime directive as kind of a, a slam against Christianity and its, its missionary endeavor. Don't interfere with other cultures, don't interfere with other people, leave them to their own devices. I'm thankful that God didn't have a, a prime directive <laughs> as Gene Roddenberry understood it. You and I are, are desperate creatures. And contrary to the philosophy of humanism, we need divine intervention to enable us to engage in the spiritual warfare that we have been called to engage in. 
Jesus says in Luke 14, imagine that a a king was going to come against you, and you had 10,000 soldiers, and this king who was coming against you had 20,000. What would you do? You would assess your situation, and if you were not able to conquer him, you would send out a peace delegation in advance of his coming. God is calling us, I believe here in Ephesians 6, verse 10, assess your situation. I think that's the application for us as we think about our real weakness. Understand that you are engaged in a spiritual conflict and you do not have the resources to withstand the conflict in which you're about to be engaged. You have no hope. So finally, be strengthened in the Lord. The strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. We have a real weakness. Secondly, we have a real enemy. You and I have a real enemy. Look at the last part of verse 11 with me. He says, you put on this whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. There are several dangers that exist for us as we begin to talk about Satan. One danger is that we can, uh, that we can underestimate him. We've talked about that a little bit already this morning, that we don't really see that we have this enemy. Another danger is that we can, can overestimate his influence and, and, and be afraid. And God in Scripture never calls us to, to live in fear of Satan and his schemes. He causes, calls us to be aware of them, but, but not to live in fear. And he also doesn't cause us to, doesn't call us to, to overestimate the, the influence of, of Satan. You know, there are several forces that exist in this, this uh, reality in which we live that work together to, to enable us to sin. First of all, my own heart is a force of wickedness. My own sin, my own flesh. Uh, secondly, the world is a sinful place. And thirdly, there is a a sinful enemy that desires to call us to sin. So let's look here at what the text says about this enemy, and we're going to be flipping around and looking at some other texts concerning our enemy, Satan, to to help us have a a biblical understanding of of who he is. So four things here about this real enemy that we face. First of all, the first thing I think it's important for us to understand is is he's he's out there, (laughs) Some people believe that Satan is this metaphysical concept or this this personification of this abstract evil. No, Satan is a real person, a a real being. He's not a a metaphysical concept. He's this fallen angel. He truly existed. He was made, and God made him above all all the other created realms, and he and his his pride desired to be like God, and so he became a, a fallen angel and took with him a third of the, the heavenly host. And so there is a real enemy that is out there. He says here, uh, stand against the schemes of, of the devil. There's this real person that we are fighting, this real enemy. He's out there. That's the first thing. Secondly, it's important to understand about our enemy, Satan. He's powerful. Remember in Ephesians chapter 2, we talked about how we used to live. And it said that we used to live in, in a way where we were following the course of, those, of, those, of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Uh, Satan has an enormous amount of influence and, and power in this world in which we live, this fallen world in which we live. 
You hear many stories about occult and occult practices and, and strange things that happen to people who begin to, to pursue the demonic realm. And, and oftentimes, I don't think these, some of these stories are true, but, but I believe that, that, that some of these stories represent an underlying reality, that there is a powerful, dark, spiritual force there, and Satan has an enormous ability, and God has given him an enormous amount of authority in this world in which we live. And so we understand, first of all, our enemy is a real person. He's really out there. And secondly, he is truly powerful in his own way. The third thing that I think we learn here about our real enemy is that he wants your ruin. He says in verse 11 that you may be able to stand. That is, the, the devil desires to, to knock you down. Satan desires your own personal destruction he desires your mother and father's destruction. He desires your children's destruction. And he is looking to gain any advantage in the spiritual conflict in order to work about the destruction of humanity. He desires your ruin. So he's out there. He's, he's powerful. He wants your ruin. Fourth, he has a plan to bring about your ruin. Notice he says here, you may be able to stand against the, the schemes, the tricks of the devil. The devil has a plan to bring about your ruin. I want to turn with you, uh, I want you to, to turn with me uh, to a few scriptures. And first, in, in Genesis chapter 3, as you turn there, notice, notice too that We've already talked about some of the schemes of, of the devil. We talk, when we talked about angry, uh, anger in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger and, and don't give a, an opportunity to the devil. The devil is desirous of, of having opportunities to work about our destruction. But in Genesis chapter 3, you have the, the first introduction of our adversary, the devil. He's already rebelled against God, and now he is seeking the ruin of God's perfect creation. Satan says uh, to the woman, verse 1, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Verse 2, and the woman said to the, to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And listen to what the serpent says. He's been saying the same thing ever since. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Notice what the plan of Satan is. This is the way that God has told you to live. God has told you that if you live in a different way than what he has told you to live, that if you walk a different path, it will bring ruin, misery, destruction. Satan says, that is not so. If you stray from this path, God doesn't desire you to be on this path for your own good. God is keeping goodness from you, turn from this path, walk this path instead, and you will find true happiness and joy. Satan is a liar. Look at 
Look at another passage of scripture with me. We see him deceiving in Genesis chapter 3 there. Turn with me to, to Job chapter 1. Job is right before the book of Psalms. Job chapter, in fact, if you just want to write down these verses too, if, if we're going too quickly. Job chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, the sons of God come, be, uh, come before him to present themselves, Satan's among them. The Lord asks Satan to consider Job, and Satan responds this way, does Job fear God for no reason? You put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has, and, and God gives Satan permission to attack Job, and Satan does so. And then after Satan has attacked Job and took away all his worldly possessions, Job, verse 20 tells us, arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped God. And he said this, an amazing statement. We sing a song about it. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job understands the path upon which he is to walk. And he continues to walk on that path even when the material world around him crumbles. All this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And then in Job chapter 2, Satan continues his relentless attack. The Lord again calls Satan's attention to Job. Verse 3, if you considered my servant Job, there's none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him. And Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. All a man has, he will give for his life. Stretch out your hand and touch his bone in his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. You see what Satan's attempt there is? He says, look, Job, the best thing for Job in every circumstance is to, to fear God, to worship God. I'm going to begin attacking the physical world around him so that he turns from that path and, 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 endures a, and, and goes down a different path instead. He wants to deceive Job concerning the, the right way to live. And, and we never have any indication in the book of Job that Job ever hears about this conversation between the Lord and Satan. He's never let into the spiritual reality that, that, uh, that began this circumstance in which he finds himself in. Satan desires to deceive him concerning the situation in which he is in. John chapter 8, we also find out about the schemes of Satan. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to this group that John refers to as the Jews. He says their father is not truly God. And then he says this, he has a stinging indictment of them in verse 44. You are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do, listen to this, has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is a liar, a schemer, a deceiver, and wants to lie to us concerning the way that we should live. 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, Paul's talking about his, this desire to present the church before God as, as pure and holy. And Paul says, I'm a little freaked out here. 
I'm a little concerned because he says in verse 3, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his by his uh, cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I'm scared, Paul says, because I know the, the right way for you to live in purity before God, but I'm afraid that Satan's going to come in and, and trick you. This liar is going to deceive you about the best way to live, and you're going to be led away from, in your thoughts from a pure and sincere devotion to Christ. One last passage. Let's look at one last passage together. There's many more we could turn to, but about Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, he's talking about this war that's been in heaven. It says that great, verse 9, Revelation 12, verse 9 says, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. What do we find out about this real enemy, this Satan, this adversary? God has told us, look, this is the best way to live your life. Honoring me, worshiping me is the best way to live. No matter what your physical circumstances are, the right way to live is in perfect obedience to me, giving me the glory. And Satan comes and says, God is a liar. God is a liar. That is not the best way to live. Let me tell you the real way to live that will truly bring you joy. And as we turn from that path that God has called us to and turn to that path of sin, we say, we agree with Satan, God, you are a liar. We rob God of his glory as we engage in sin, and Satan loves that. The problem is our own hearts, our own flesh, are tempted to follow that as well. He schemes, he connives, he's cunning, he works in conjunction with our flesh and this world to work our ruin. This past week, I read an a article about one of the most disturbing books that I think I've ever heard of. The book is called Impossible Motherhood. It's called Impossible Motherhood. And it's written by a woman who I believe Satan has, has just run through her family like a child in a pl on a playground. Her brothers were heroin addicts. Her mother committed suicide. Her, her grandmother was, was a, a, just a very radical person. Terrible things have taken place in her family. And you see, as you read this article with spiritual eyes, that there have been just amazingly dark, sinister spiritual forces at work in her life. The demonic realm, I believe, has just toyed with this woman her entire life. The book is about uh, her attempts to become pregnant so that she could have abortions. And over a 15, 16-year period, she had 16 abortions. She describes the excitement that she would feel when she became pregnant, knowing that she could have an abortion. 
Behold the deception of our enemy. And you know what the truly sick thing is? Or even in addition to that, she says this, she's afraid that her book will be misunderstood and twisted by the pro-life movement to deny women the right to choose. Behold the deception of the enemy. We have a culture, and the article was very supportive of a, of a woman's so-called right to choose as it talked about this as well. Behold the deception. God calls us to live in a certain way, and the enemy says that's not the best way to live, and so we begin to pursue a, a different way, and, and as we pursue this different way, although it's bringing us misery and pain and heartache, the enemy continues to say this is the right way. This way is miserable. We engage in immorality. We find immorality on our television entertaining. And we say, yes, this is, this is enjoyable. We engage in materialism, believing that, that we're, we're finding satisfaction in the material things in life. And, and God has called us to, to forsake this pursuit of material pleasures. And, and we say, no, God, well, we don't think you have it quite right. Oh, we are being deceived and we're going to follow the path of this world and the prince of the power of the air, we have a real enemy who seeks our ruin. What's the application? I believe the application is that we, first of all, need, as we understand our real enemy here, we respect his power. We say this is a, this is a powerful being in, in which, in which uh, and, and in beings, as we think about the demonic realm, in which we're engaged with this conflict. We're not going to approach this battle cavalierly. Instead, we're going to respect the power of our enemy. Also, as we think about how to apply this truth that we have a real enemy, we're going to be aware of his schemes. And as, as we consider God's call on our lives, how he tells us to live, and are tempted to live a different way, we're going to say, look, I understand that I'm being deceived here. And right now, for some reason, I believe that this is a better way to live. But in my heart, God's word is telling me this is wrong. And we're aware of the deception of the enemy. We can face it head on. We're also, as we think about this powerful, deceitful enemy, hopefully we have this desire to avail ourselves of the tools that God offers us. And we'll talk about that next week. So we have a real weakness. We have a real enemy. And we are... Furthermore, engaged in a real war. Let's look at verses 12 and 13. Paul says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's four important things here about this real war. First of all, I think that it's important for us to understand that this real war is very intense very intense. Paul uses the word wrestle here. I don't know if you've ever wrestled before. This is actually the only time in the New Testament that the scripture uses the term wrestle. Later he's going to be talking about warfare, kind of more hand-to-hand combat, but here he talks about wrestling. Now I was uh, obviously never a wrestler. Uh, may surprise some of you. Uh, but after school sometimes I, I would go and, and my, my, my buddies were wrestlers and so I, I'd go and, and we kind of just goof off together and I, I'd, I'd watch their practices and stuff and sometimes I'd, I'd wrestle and we'd do these kind of fake matches. Uh, for some reason they called me uh, Cushion Boy, I don't know. Um, 
But what I was always amazed, when, we, when they described to me how a wrestling match worked, they said, okay, there's, there's these different rounds, they only last a couple minutes, and, and I thought, well, you know, two minutes? That's kind of a wimpy sport, a two-minute sport, and three of so six minutes total. All right, let's do this. Well, what I found is that two minutes is a long time. I mean, you're, you're up close to a person, and, and it's just constant struggle, that whole two-minute Two minutes of that, of that uh, round and the, the entire match, it's just constant struggling. You're right up next to someone. That's the type of struggle that we're in. This wrestling is not this casual, sometimes being engaged. There is a, a constant, uh, very oppressive struggle that takes place spiritually. It's not a, a casual struggle in which we are engaged. That's the first thing. This is an intense battle. Secondly, it's important to understand the physical world is not where our ultimate struggle lies. He says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And sometimes we're tempted to think that, that other people in our lives are our real enemies. But think about where Paul is when he writes this. Paul is in a, a Roman jail. There is, uh, he's, he says he's in chains later in, in chapter 6. Paul is in chains. Perhaps there's a, a Roman guard right outside uh, his, his cell there, and, and Paul, or in his cell with him, and Paul says, you know what, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Paul was there because of, of his enemies, and yet Paul doesn't look as, at his enemies as the people with whom he is ultimately engaged in a struggle. Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That also means not only is it not other people that we wrestle against ultimately, it's also not the physical realm in which we're ultimately struggling. As we go through sicknesses, as we go through the loss of material possessions, this should help us understand, look, this is not our ultimate problem. This is not where our ultimate battle lies. We're engaged in a real war. This battle is intense. The physical world is not where this ultimate battle lies. Thirdly, as we see here, life is ultimately a spiritual struggle. He says, but, it's a strong contrast after he says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and he goes on. Ultimately, life is a spiritual struggle. I think as, as he lists these different entities with whom we wrestle and battle, let me just urge some caution here. Some people go through these characteristics that are describing these spiritual forces, and they try to identify exactly who Paul is talking about. And we sometimes take these verses and, and kind of apply them in some ways that, that I believe, frankly, is, is speculation. So, for example, some people say, say well, well, aliens are part of the demonic realm, or, or ghosts are, part, are, are real and part of the demonic realm. And, and I certainly believe that, that that's a possibility, that, you know, the demonic realm is a de deceptive realm, and, and perhaps that Perhaps in some of those circumstances, that is what's happening. But let's just be honest, that's speculation. What we have is a, a clear testimony from God's word that there is a spiritual realm, and that spiritual realm is a deceptive realm. And let me also say this. A very dangerous thing to do is to become too enamored with the demonic realm, to delve in it too deeply, trying to, to think about it and, and figure it out. God's calling us is, is to stay away from it. We'll talk about the tools that we have at our disposal in the coming weeks. So with, with that kind of caveat in place, let, let's talk about what Paul does say and what we can say with confidence. First of all, he says we're wrestling against rulers and against authorities. 
What we're seeing here is that there's a hierarchy within the demonic realm, and it's a powerful hierarchy. Uh, these, the, the, the forces in the demonic realm have real power, and we've talked about that already. He also says we're wrestling against the cosmic powers. He says cosmic powers over this present darkness. Uh, over and over again in the book of Ephesians, we, we've seen this idea of darkness being a, a worldly realm. And so there's a worldly realm, and over that worldly realm, the demonic forces have an enormous amount of control. What's the application for the believers? Stay out of the darkness. Stay out of the darkness. Don't expose yourself or your children to this darkness. He says also we wrestle, we wrestle against spiritual forces in the heavenly places. And what I think it's important to, to glean from that phrase is that this wrestling takes place in the heavenly places. You and I are in the physical realm and we simultaneously exist in the spiritual realm as well. Recently, I read an article about a man named uh, Kevin Jennings, and you've probably heard this story as well. Kevin Jennings is an assistant deputy of, of the, the Safe Schools uh, program. Uh, Kevin Jennings, many years ago, had a, a student come to him, and as he had this student come to him, this student uh, confessed that he had been involved in a, a homosexual relationship with an older man that he had met at a, a bus station restroom. And Kevin Jennings, who's now the assistant deputy or assistant director of, of some government organization, the Safe Schools, ironically enough, uh, counseled this boy to just be careful. And he over and over again has referred to this event that took place in the past as a, an example of the, the terrible struggles that some people go through and how he helped this young man through this struggle. Now I hear that story and become very angry. And my temptation is to become angry at Kevin Jennings. Kevin Jennings is not my enemy. Kevin Jennings is not my enemy. What we understand is, look, this is a spiritual struggle. And some people hear that story and think, man, I'm so grateful that, that there was a person in place to help this young man. I say, boy, I, I am so saddened that instead of taking a despondent young man who is struggling with sin and saying, look, yeah, what you're, what you're struggling with is sin. Let, let, let's help you. Let's talk about what God's word says. I, I'm saddened that the wrong person was there. And that the enemy has had a field day in the life of that young man ever since. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but able to teach, kind, patient, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, so that God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do their will, to do his will. Look, people are not our enemies. And as we encounter people who hate us, as Paul encountered his enemies, Paul didn't say, look, this is, a, this is a us versus the Jews. Paul said, look, this is a spiritual struggle. It's a spiritual struggle. It's a real war, but it's not against people. Fourth thing here, fourth thing, an evil day, an evil day is coming. An evil day is coming. It says in verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. When you're struggling with sin, you may find that as God gives you victory, it, it seems that things are going so well and so well. And then all of a sudden there, there comes that point in time. Maybe you've been struggling with, with gluttony 
and, and, and you, you do well day one and then day two, and then all of a sudden day three, it feels like there's just an enormous pressure on you, or maybe you've been struggling with immorality, and, and there's just this moment where it seems that, that you, you cannot withstand the temptation. I believe that's kind of what Paul's talking about here as he talks about this evil day. There's going to be a moment when their spiritual forces just kind of converge on you. Maybe you've been struggling with, with anger, and you, you say, like, I'm doing okay, I'm, I'm doing okay, I'm doing okay, and then all of a sudden your schedule and the kids and everything kind of converges, and it's an evil day. Can you withstand that? If you were to take me up here at the top of uh, the second floor here, five points, and have me hold up a, uh, lay down and hold up one of the, the, the weight bars and start putting weight on it, uh, you wouldn't have to go too long until I was no longer able to withstand that weight. I collapsed. But imagine if I took that bar and put it on the frame and just kind of held my hands up there. You could put weight on there all day long. Why? I'm not actually holding it up. There's an evil day coming, a time where the spiritual forces in your life are going to converge. And the question is, are you going to rely upon your own resources or upon the resources, the armor that God has provided? There are dark, demonic forces that have a stronghold in our world. Demonic forces have a stranglehold on some governmental systems. There are communities in our nation where you just see the, the violence and the immorality and you say there, there's no other explanation for that except that the enemy has an incredible foothold in that community. Don't be a materialist. Don't be a materialist. Understand, yes, we live in a fallen world and, and the world system is corrupt and, and yes, our, our own natures are fallen, but we also have a real enemy engaging us in a real war, and because of our real weakness, we need the resources that God provides to protect ourselves, to protect our children, to protect the people whom we live around, work with, all, all for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we just do pray for your protection on us. We thank you that you have given us the resources we need to stand firm. Help us as we think through what that means in the coming weeks. We thank you for your son Jesus and the provision of life we have through him. We pray this in his name. Amen.